following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Hey guys, Clay Thompson here. I need to give a shout out to my mom. She said I should read the newspaper before games to take my mind off things. It's become a pregame ritual, but it also is how I stay informed. Keeping up on local news, sports, or just about anything, I read the paper. So should you. Whether it's digital or print, it doesn't matter. Go to clayoffer.com and subscribe today. Local news delivered your way, digital or print. Stay informed on news that matters to you. Go to clayoffer.com. Brought to you by the Mercury News, East Bay Times, and Marin Independent Journal. My name is Matt Perez. My name is Satchel Drakes. And this is Overworld, where we try to be curious, fail at being smart, and talk about video games at the intersection of art, society, and other stuff. Hey, Satchel. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Not too bad. Falls upon us. Yeah. I enjoy it. I enjoy the cold weather. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. crisp. Good word. I yeah. like it. <laughs> so what have you been playing? Super Mario Odyssey. I gotta get on that. It's pretty magical. Yeah. It's like Disney, but like in a game, you know? All the time. That it sounds spectacular. Yeah. How about uh, yourself? I've been, uh, I, I kind of like delay when I, when, when I play games a lot of times, and uh, I'm going back and trying out Horizon Zero Dawn. Fair. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. I slept on it for the longest time because yeah. I was in the middle of Breath of the Wild and people were like, oh yeah, Horizon Zero Dawn is cool. It's like Breath of the Wild. So I was like, oh, well, if it's going to be the same like time sync, I can't even look at a trailer. <laughs> and I saw it the other day and it's amazing. Yeah, it is like crazy to see. But it's, like, it, it like is in that genre of um, kind of like a, like a Far Cry or maybe even like a Dishonored where you can, uh, when you approach situations, you can stealth or you can you know go bow and arrow blazing i guess mm. and uh you know Familiar with that i don't know how how you are but like with those type of games like i tend to want to be stealthy but i end up you know it falls apart and i just like you know just kill everyone out, you know <laughs> like guns of, like you know out loud like running around kind of thing because i find it easier but i also just love the idea of stealth yeah Dude, I'm the same way. Like, especially, I mean, I think about Dishonored. I always liked going the stealth route, but, you know, your boy sometimes slips. And when he <laughs> slips, then he has to pull out his guns, and, yeah. oh, it's just a mess. It's yeah. just a bloody mess, yeah. It's funny, though. Like, I that seems like the trend. I, I'm sure there's a few uh, stealth games that are very kind of old school, but, like, I feel like the trend is very much, like, give you a lot of options when it comes to stealth. And I think, like, one of my favorite games of all time is uh, Splinter Cell Chaos Theory. Ooh. I'm one, with right? you, sort of. So I haven't played Chaos Theory, but I played Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell on the Wii, which I know is super weird. Yeah, but like, <laughs> but the self part was there, right? Yeah, you know? <laughs> no, definitely. And uh, I kind of have a, uh, I kind of have a theory as to why I enjoy stealth games, and uh, particularly like those old school ones where you're kind of powerless. Mm, what is it? I think I like breaking and entering. Like in oh, a- <laughs> yes. Being yeah. naughty, doing stuff you're not yeah. supposed to do, being where you're not supposed to be, yeah. There's something about I'm it. With you. I like There's it. There's definitely something about it. I have uh, in, um, I guess when I was in high school, I was uh, unfortunately into ska. And, uh, uh, fortunate, dude. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, throw some shade at the genre. But, uh, hey, could, can you skank? Like, oh, right now? No. <laughs> I can no. throw down. I'm ready. <laughs> God. No, but 
Do um, you even skank, bro? Sorry, I had to like. <laughs> you got to get it all. I out. had to leave. All right, we're here. good. We're good. But no, uh, Real Big Fish was playing at my local oh, college. I'm from like a college this is town. Somebody hurts me. Think <laughs> <laughs> about all these memories. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're they're playing. I've, I've come from a college town. They're playing playing the college, and uh, me and my friends are like, let's just walk over and walk in and pretend to be students. I didn't realize that high school students, when you're in college, look like children. So there's that. <laughs> That's real, dude. Yeah. But for some reason. And I eventually went to this college. Never any security for these places. I went to like Donald Glover oh, performed, and there's no security. Like, but of course, this one time, it's a good thing. It's on the safer end of the spectrum of <laughs> rap concerts. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. But like, for some reason, there is like a legit uh, police officer, security guard at the front door, and it's like great. And we tried it for a good hour and a half out in like it's bitter cold outside, like trying to get in like we tried just to talk to her my one oh, friend man. is silly and like stood behind us with a 20 dollar bill that was not gonna work um but eventually we That's... we i think we just looked sad for sitting outside on the benches <clears throat> and she just let you in no she did not oh okay. she kept denying us. <laughs> but someone a student i think uh probably felt bad for us uh walked over and was like hey if you go around back to like where the kitchens are i'll open the door for you I'm like, oh, ooh, nice. That so, is good. Yeah, there's like a, a far back entrance, but then there's like, you know, the back entrance where there's another security guard. So we're like, okay, we got to, we got to like do this up. Like, we, oh, <laughs> you got to strategize. Yes. You got to. So like we get, we walk over to that side of the building and we're in like a long grassy kind of alleyway. Yeah. It's a long alleyway. sounds like it's tight. It's not, it's open and it's like people would notice if you're running on it. So we have to, like, sneak by that security guard that's, like, looking over at us and be very – it's, like, you have that – like it's, like, the roadie run in Gears of War. Was he, like, pacing, like, in the same way, like, left and right or something? Or did he, like, turn on call? Or... <laughs> maybe just looking – I don't Maybe we uh, waited till a student went by to, like, distract him or something. But, like, we we're running. And it's, like, this thing where you're nervous, but it's also, like, just giddy feeling. Like, oh, my Homer gosh. Simpson, like, 100%. It's so, thrill. It was, thrill. Like, it was a serious thrill. And we get back there, and we're just standing there. And it's probably not where we're supposed to be. We're just waiting and waiting. We're like, is she actually going to come? And eventually the door opens. We're like, oh, my God. That suspense, though. Yeah. Yeah. So we walk in, and it's like a hallway, uh, and we're, like, going by kitchens and stuff. And to the – like, right in front of us is a staircase to the stage. It's, like, our goal. But right to the right of that is where the security guard is that we were trying to, like, haggle with for, like, two hours. And and we're like, okay, we have to go one by one. So, yeah. My gosh. Because you've already, like, put your faces into her hard drive. Yes. Like, by being around. Probably a mistake. Yeah. (laughs) So, one of my friends goes, gets in. Like, oh, my God, it's working. Another one goes, it works. But for some reason, it was like, I think I was up, maybe. I don't know exactly how this (laughs) fell apart. But security guard looks over and it's like, oh, you're not supposed to be there. Like, Oh, no. No. Yeah. And it was it's like it was kind of like a funny but terrible situation where it's like it it was right there. We had it and it's like and, and it was like the entire time like you know, quote unquote infiltrating the building was so yeah. fun. But uh but then it's like that total loss of like oh, we man. almost had it. But it was also kind of hilarious because she was just impressed that we even got in. She's like, yeah, oh yeah. good job again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Oh. There's just something she should have of- given that to like right? what what is going on in her personal life <laughs> that she can't give that Come to on. you? We're just high school students, whatever. I can't. 
But yeah, like there is some like that's the type of feeling I get when I'm playing a really great stealth game, and it's like there's not a ton of really great stealth games where you get that feeling, and it's just like something I cherish. Like there's something about that where it's like you're like an underdog almost. No, dude, I totally feel you. I I remember specifically that whole underdog situation. I so myself and two of my friends in high school, Julian Randolph and Evan Duran, we. Uh, we used to always just hang out in the basement and do whatever, eat pizza, you know, whatever high school students did. But um, I lived near a Marriott hotel, Marriott Glen Point. And what we would do, um, or what we did uh, a couple of times, but the first time was obviously the most exciting because we hadn't done it before, was we wanted to sneak in and, like, I don't know, I guess, like, pull a prank on on the people who were staying there for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Really bored. Suburbs, come on, whatever. Yeah. It justifies itself. So we, like, fi- we're, like, kind of, like, we see the hotel, and it's this big, fancy hotel. We're, like, there has to be a way. Like, the custodians get in, get the back, whatever. So we're, like, walking around. We find, like, an, we find, a, like, a stray door. And there's someone who could, there's someone who worked there, like, custodian who worked there who went through it. And we saw a stairwell that led up. So it's like, well, the stairwell probably, like, goes throughout the whole length of everything. Maybe it's like a back door. Sometimes hotels have, like, a service elevator. This one didn't. So we knew that there had to be a back way. So we're, like, planning and strategizing. And it's hella fun, like, getting through it. Also hella scary because we're thinking about, you know, just the kind of the kind of trouble you can get into, right? Mm-hmm. And so we wait in the dark, right? Like, away from where the street lights are. And we wait for somebody to come by so we could just quickly run. My buddy Evan runs the next time someone exits the door, tosses his backpack so that when the when the door closes, it hits on the backpack, doesn't Yo. close entirely. We quickly sneak in and we walk up the stairwell to like, I don't know, maybe like the 10th floor or whatever. And our whole thing was, okay, what can we do? What kind of prank can we pull now that we're in here? Um, maybe we'll – every floor of the hotel has like the vending machine room with the ice machine. So we'd grab a bucket fill it with ice and just kind of throw it in front of the front door of everyone's hotel. <laughs> My God. I can't, I've literally told like two people this story because it's so like ridiculous. But it's exciting because it's like, oh my God, they're going to open the door and see ice yeah. and be like, what? It's going to be crazy. So be nuts. We did that. We threw it. We threw it in front of every door on the floor and then and then we and like hiding in between from people who are coming off the elevator. Yeah. You know what I mean, and I think really this kind of serves the whole point of like, where did what did we get out of any of this? <laughs> Nothing. And it wasn't it was pre smartphone hour. We weren't documenting it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And like. Um, there was a thrill and an excitement and an anxiety, and it was a cocktail of all three of them. And there was something specific about that that we didn't get in our normal lives. And I feel like there are like like stealth games, like Metal Gear Solid or like uh, Volume, like they 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 fill that void in an interesting way where you're doing something you're not supposed to do, and brute force and power isn't what it's about, but mm-hmm. it's about like playing to the environment yeah like any other game it's like like a grand theft auto or something it's like oh i can just like find an assault rifles whatever yeah you just be like just go nuts and uh you'll be fine but like in a stealth game there's like a certain you're powerless and you have to sneak by people you know and uh there's just something about that that i really enjoy yeah 100 percent. the patterns the anticipation i like i like being anxious Mm. and i think it's it's a thing of like you know What's the biggest game? Want to trade? 
I like being anxious in a setting where it's not like uh, you can you're, you're allowed to fail. Got it. Yeah. Like so that's like um one of the biggest games this year. It's basically a stealth game where you're you know a, a little powerless, which is player unknown battlegrounds. And so uh, apparently a lot of people enjoy feeling this serious tension. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's probably why I liked growing up. Like Twenty Four was one of my favorite television shows because oh my gosh, you're Twenty Four. There's that kids. suspense, you know, and uh, I there's something about. It, it feels so heightened in yeah. a uh, in a stealth game, yeah, yeah, and it also like it raises the stakes in another sense that it's effectively. I mean, with the exception of Dishonored, which I, I kind of almost feel like these games maybe they lose a bit of it by giving you brute force as a way out, but the, they're all one hit KO mode. You know what I mean? Like they're all sort of like these sudden death modes where you're you're in the dark or you're not, and if people see you, you're done. You know, there's something about. Even that sort of just being incredibly exciting mm-hmm. and the cower, yeah, <laughs> and masochistic, <laughs> <laughs> but cool. Um, so I kind of just want to know like the science behind this, and also like why these games work, why it's fun to be powerless. Maybe yeah, no, me too. Like I want to know what's going on in the head and what sort of draws us to want this feeling that on paper, these feelings that on paper you might categorize as like bad or not really desirable. So uh, I want to talk to Dimitri Williams. He's an associate professor at USC, studies communications, particularly social and economic impact of video games. Uh, maybe it's just in my head, but uh, like the feeling of, of, of anxiety I feel while playing like Splinter Cell or like Metal Gear Solid. Uh, do you think there's like a difference between like anxiety and suspense, suspense in games and say like other forms of media? Uh, it, it certainly can be. Um, you got to be careful not to paint too broad a brush. I mean, you wouldn't say, you know, the effect of watching TV shows is blank because I saw an episode of Friends or an episode of The Wire. You've got a pretty good understanding um, from experience that there are, is a wide range of content. And that's the same kind of thinking you have to use with games as well. You, you don't want to say, you know, playing games causes blank. You know, there are lots of different genres um, and modes and experiences. And the one that you guys are zeroing in on is, um, you know, not the equivalent of watching Seinfeld, right? It's a, a very intense um, first-person uh, shooter kind of experience. And this is going to bring us into talking about a phenomenon called presence, which is how much you feel like you're really there. Like, we know we're not there, but how much is your brain going to suspend disbelief? And if you're watching, you know, a sitcom, at no point do you think you're in the sitcom you're just watching but if you're playing a game you could start to get into these ranges of presence where you may start to viscerally feel like you're part of the action even though you know most of your brain knows that this is just stuff on a screen so that's where a lot of these kind of effects um when they are there that's a lot of times where they come from and, and why they can activate feelings that are much more intense than you know more passive media Mm, that makes a lot of sense. The first thing that comes to mind for me, and maybe this kind of helps revise the question a little bit, is I think at least as far as sort of anxiety-inducing stealth or suspense, the the most, I guess the closest thing I can liken it to in a more passive medium, like let's say a film is watching a horror film where there's always kind of like that quintessential scene where you have the main character in like this dark room or like they're walking through the forest and there's no sound at all. And you're like, okay, the sound design, the jump scare is coming. When is it coming? I have no idea. Mm -hmm. And sort of in that, in that bunker of all of it, like you're just like, 
you feel for them like you're in a place that you're not supposed to be. And that's the closest thing I can say I feel when I play Splinter Cell or something like that. Um, do you feel like there's something to that element of player agency that's like definitely present in games and not present in film that adds nuance to the situation or amplifies it or changes it? Well, so they're, I mean, you know, they're inherently different experiences, but there's a range. I mean, if we say that they, the average amount of presence you feel in the one medium is, you know, X and the average amount you feel in the other is Y averages are just that. I mean, there's a whole bunch of spread around that average. So there are going to be movies where there are higher degrees of, um, you know, presence in realism. And we could all think of scenes where it felt like, you know, the thing was about to happen to you uh, more than it was going to happen to the character. Um, I think that's much less frequent um, in, in, in most movies than it is in most games. But, you know, when you get into really specialized genre, if it was like, you know, handheld camera shots or mm. um, like you say, when you're walking through the forest and, or, you know, and you get the camera's point of view or you're over the shoulder so you can relate to the, you know, the main character more, um, then it starts to get into some of the same kind of feelings that you would have in video games where you may have some of the same point of view in the, in the way that the game's camera is oriented. Um, but of course you have different amounts of control possible. Um, cause you're, you know, it's not choose your own adventure when you're watching the screen and, for most games, you have a degree of control, not all. Sometimes game experiencers are what we call being on rails, um, kind of the, the, anal- the analogy is like, you know, at, at amusement park, you know, it seems like you don't know what's going to happen next, but it's all predetermined. And so there can be scary experiences where they want you to move to this position, then move to this position, and then this scare is going to happen, and 10 seconds later, this is going to happen, and then the lights are going to go out, and it's all, you know, very, very planned. So right, sometimes... Right. Sometimes you have that sense of control. Sometimes it's an illusion of the sense of control, and it actually throws you back towards the more kind of filmed experience. Super long answer. It's more likely. Oh no! Listen, we will always appreciate people talking about the spectrum and the gradient of anything. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, that's that's totally fair. So I guess kind of chalking it up to conveyance makes a lot of sense. That popped in my head when you were talking about that is like the idea of like maybe uh, the idea what sets in maybe while you're playing um, like a stealth game or something is this idea that you might fail or like, you know, something out of your control may happen. Whereas, um, you know, it, it isn't necessarily all planned out. Uh, you, you have to like, you know, things may go wrong. And I, that might, maybe that's a, a feeling that, uh, that I'm feeling uh, like that I experience while playing a stealth game. You know, I, I, some of this is, I think is like the contract that the, the producer has with the consumer about, what they can expect Mm. and you know for most filmed entertainment um you know whether it's tv or movies and for most games you you pretty much know the good guys are going to win um and then you know spoiler alert uh game of thrones comes out and all of a sudden characters you assume are safe are killed and you're like wait a second oh boromir no (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) one does not simply be cast into televised entertainment right so (laughs) So, you know, that, that changes your expectation. You think that, oh, I've got this contract, it's going to be fine, it's going to work out, and then all of a sudden the rug's pulled out underneath you and you feel much more uneasy. That, that's how I feel watching that show. You know, I've read the books, I feel like, I don't know what's going to happen. Someone's about to get whacked. And <laughs> yeah. that's, and that's um, you know, that same kind of thing um, and contract and breaking of contract, setting up and then, you know, taking away the expectations, that can happen in, in games as well. But I think there's, 
I think there's much more of a cultural assumption that, um, you know, there's a do over, um, in games because, you know, okay, you, you're stealthy and you, you get along and you die, but you know, you respawn and you do it you know, a few minutes later. I mean, there are games, you know, there are dark souls type games where there's permadeath and, and the risk is much higher. And so your heart rate is probably much higher, but for the most part, even though it's scary, you still know in the back of your head, I, I can do this again once I screw up, right? The jump scare's coming, I die, and yeah. next time I'm not scared, you know, and you don't do that in film. There is that, yeah. like, uh, um, I think the the Evil Within is like a horror game that tried to mix in stealth, and yeah. uh, kind of everything breaks down, like, it's a, it's a game that punishes you pretty quickly if you screw up your stealthing, and it is, like, all that feeling of, like, horror goes away once that happens, because... I guess that illusion is broken, and that's definitely something I noticed in other, like, like Splinter Cell is an example where the character is supposed to, like, not exist in, in the place they're infiltrating, but, like, you can sometimes, like, set off alarms, and yeah. everything is cool, and that's, I sometimes have that effect of, like, I want to be super perfect, but that's not always, always you know, the case. I, I think about that a lot with, uh, and, and to your point, I, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, it, I think it makes a lot of sense when you were sort of mentioning, oh, like, there's this fear of... I might do this wrong. And the first thing that comes to mind is like going back to like the example of horror films. You, it's, it's such a modern kind of thing to do in, in horror films. Now it's such a part of the lexicon to fake people out or to, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, are they about to die? Oh, it turns out they're not. And it kind of evens out the probability of something happening. But I had that same sense of, of, I, I, it's not really disappointment, but I guess like a watered down experience playing dishonored where, Effectively, it can be a stealth game if you want it to be. Yeah. Um, but if it's not, you're kind of equipped to like get yourself out of a situation. Versus, like I think about when I first played Metal Gear Solid, um, and the, the the at least at least the beginning is sort of like it's kind of built around this idea of you doing well, like with stealth, right? Mm-hmm. Like I mean, later on you sort of like learn how to strategize and stuff, but um, it, it's kind of centered around it. And then volume, similar thing, like it's kind of centered around that. Um, the the whole, I guess the reality of just being able to take people on anyway, in in and have and with brute force, is, it kind of takes away from it. Mm-hmm. So, so I think I think audiences like that that kind of real psychological affect, that real thrill. Um, you know, we go to see scary movies because we want to experience the emotion. We all know there's going to be a jump scare. Um, you know, we'd like to grab the person next to us for comfort. Uh, we like to be thrilled. There's a there's a theory called excitation transfer, which suggests that if you have a really heightened emotional state, it's really easy for it to switch from one type of emotion to another. Um, and for a lot of people, you know, especially in the kind of cliched sense of a boy and a girl watching a scary movie together, it's an excuse to get closer, an excuse to have a deeper connection because they transfer the scariness into the affection and comfort with the other person. And I think we we we, gen- we, we like those kind of genuine experiences we like those kind of sense of, of of heightened emotion and as you guys say when a if a game overmanages you and takes the that kind of real visceral sensation away you're like okay well it's you know it's not as much fun because I, I actually wanted to be scared i actually wanted to feel the suspense and i think you know you look at what's the most what's the most popular breakaway hit in games in the last couple months it's it's player unknowns battlegrounds and that's a game where you're playing, you know, like Hunger Games style and you're about to be killed and you're going to play down to one person and the vast majority of people are going to lose. But the tension as the numbers get lower and as the playing field gets tighter 
it's real it's real it's palpable it's the kind of of thrill that you could get from a good movie um and and there's no do-over right there's mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no respawn you're just dead and like you know you could like you can almost hear the dramatic music in the background you know you know you i'm about to get killed by somebody and, and you are <laughs> and and i it, it i in a sense i was really surprised by how popular that game is but in the context of what you guys are talking about it, it kind of makes sense for why i mean some it's a great game but it explains a little bit of why that game is you know, probably about to be a billion dollar franchise because mm-hmm. it's it's pressing psychological buttons that aren't being genuinely pressed in other places. And I think a lot of it comes from this, you know, real visceral presence and then genuine fear that you, you know, you get to feel human for a little bit. Yeah. That game, especially it's like addicting. Like you want to continue to get into like the top 20 or 10 because, you know, it's like a 15 minute, 20 minute build up into this moment. And like, once you're like down to those numbers, you're just sitting in a bush and just like listening so closely. And it does get, (laughs) Like your hands will start shaking after afterwards. Like <laughs> I, I love that. I don't <laughs> There's something about it. Yep. Is there a feeling yep. of like, maybe um, with these games, I don't want to say like a, like you're powerless. I think I'm in some you are, but um, like in player on battlegrounds, you're against 99 other people that are equal level of you um, that might've um, found better items than you. And like in a game like Splinter Cell, a lot of times you just can't use, your tools like you have to just be straight up silent uh do you think there that there's an element of that whereas like a lot of other video games are about like power trips that's pretty interesting um so you know i think you're asking if there is any kind of actual enjoyment or heightened experience from being relatively powerless um and it there may be for some people you know, not everybody comes to these games with the same background in psychology. There, there really are different player types. Um, you know, need for intensity, uh, need to socialize, need to compete. We, we're satisfying different needs when we come play a game. Not everybody comes in uniform. Um, you guys may or may not be similar to each other, but there's probably somebody else who's playing. You know, uh, player unknowns also who is doing it and getting something different out of it. And so I, I, you have to be really careful to, you know, speak in universal language cause it's, it's just not how it works. Um, but for some people it, it may be that that sense of, um, you know, powerlessness heightens the realism and ups the adrenaline and the excitement factor, um, for success. Uh, is there somebody out there who does this in a more like masochistic way? Like I want to lose secretly uh, I, maybe they do, um, but those folks probably need to be talking to somebody. Um, <laughs> that, doesn't, that, that doesn't sound healthy. Yeah. Oh, let's talk to somebody now. Sure. <laughs> let's go. Well, the closest thing that comes to mind, what, uh, Amnesia, right? Is it Amnesia? That's Where, a horror game. Yeah, it's a horror game. Not really stealth, but you're disarmed the whole way. Yeah. yeah there's sort of like this sense of helplessness that's mm-hmm. Well, it's in- intensity, you know as a as a mechanic you know having inability to do stuff that, that can heighten the intensity and that can make it more interesting and more fun yeah. um, but if it's intensity where you know you're going to die as opposed to intensity where this is just going to be really hard and i feel disadvantaged but that makes it more intense and more real that's different and that may lead to the same kind of fun cheap thrills that horror mechanics have in general which mm-hmm. is you know the deck is stacked against me uh, it's not a cream puff 
thing. And if I beat this um, and I get through it, despite my fear, that's going to be pretty awesome. Yeah. I think there's a sense of that, of like, maybe you're presented with, you know, your, your like ultimate fear and accomplishing that is like fulfilling, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, face your fears is is a pretty big deal. We've got that fight or flight stuff pretty well ingrained into us if you could (laughs) master that in some way that that feels pretty feels pretty good this is kind of like a like a left field question but uh do you think there's an element of i guess like you're say like breaking into a building and there's like a realism to that and like you like that's like itself not as crazy as like this like breaking the law fantasy as like what grand theft auto is but it has that like you know grounded element of like Oh, I can like, like you're familiar with like how a building layout is, and like the idea of like how would I infiltrate this building is like fulfilled through this game. Well, so there's you know maybe some uh, fantasy wish fulfillment, um, and then there's the the sort of more transgressive nature of things. You know, being able to be naughty in ways that you can't in your daily life. Um, you know, we there's some pretty heavy duty debates in academia over whether things like that are good or bad, um, especially if it involves aggression in, in, in sort of transgressive ways. Oh, but, man. you know, if, you, if you're talking about, like, uh, the cheap thrill you may get from sneaking around a real-world place where you know you're not supposed to be, being behind the velvet rope or whatever, that, that's kind of a cheap thrill. Um, and the ability to execute it in video games, um, you know, is a lot of fun. Um, I, was just, I was talking with a, a researcher a couple days ago who was doing a study of um, people who were in VR and whether or not they felt like they were there and what part of it they really liked. And when it was all over, it was a VR experience of, of, a, of an area they were already familiar with. Um, but in the VR experience, you got to go to parts of the real world that you couldn't normally go to, like up on a stage and down to a football field. And those are the parts that everybody liked the most because it was hey, I can't normally do that. And this is a cool experience just for the novelty of it and the access, you know, in a world where there are a lot of velvet ropes between you and what you want to do or experience, um, these experiences can remove those ropes and you can go do it. And that just is is fun and liberating. And it doesn't necessarily always mean that there's, um, you know, an an effect that's going to carry over into your daily life. And now you're going to, you know, sneak into buildings late at night. You know, I think there's there's a pretty strong... Um, barrier between fantasy and reality uh, for most people. That's pretty amazing. The, I'm I'm a little bit distracted by by something that you mentioned earlier. Is I mean, in your research or maybe just in your passive conversations with other people who kind of do what you do, like, is there any empirical data or I don't know, actionable data, telling data on the correlation between the sort of cheap thrills like that of Grand Theft Auto and I don't know. I guess like uh, behavior or practice, like, and, and I guess what I mean is like the the famous kind of debate of do these hypervaliant games, you know what I mean? That that sort of allow mm-hmm. people to. It, it's sort of like the whole like, is this venting aggression or is this propagating aggression? Is there, sure. is, there is there anything that can be said to that that you know? So is you know is there a catharsis effect where you know playing lets you blow off steam and makes you less likely to be aggressive or is it that doing it is practicing and giving you ideas and making you more likely to be aggressive those are the the two kind of competing 
mechanisms, if you will, that, yeah. that could lead to this stuff. Um, yeah, no, it's a it's it's a heavily researched idea, um, an area, and there isn't really very good consensus around it because the research tends to point in multiple directions at the same time. Um, but there there is a lot of research where people come into a lab or play a game and then um, some weeks later they report having you know more aggressive thoughts or feelings the the gray area is whether or not those aggressive thoughts or feelings would translate into actions um, that's right. less clear uh, I'm not saying they don't I'm not saying they do um, I've done research on this space and and found no but I've seen other people who I respect do stuff and found yes they think so um, what's what's really challenging about this is you can't actually let people hurt each other so if you're the right. researcher you know like you're like let's play a game and then let's put them Fair. in with, with machetes right you know? <laughs> so so what you got to do is be like you put them in a in a in a room and you give them the ability to like annoy other people with like a sound blast or you see if they're quicker to come to an angry conclusion when given a scenario so it's all these like proxies for things right and those tend to show at least in the short term yeah, people get hyped up and, and aggressive and, and angry or excited could also be, and you have that in the short term. The long-term stuff is, is a lot less clear. I mean, like, if you're running around a football field or, or playing ultimate frisbee or something, and then you do these same tests, you'd probably have similar results because you're hyped up. That doesn't mean you're an aggressive person. It means you're hyped up. So, you know, what we really need to answer your question is, like, long we call longitudinal study long-term studies where you you have people play steadily for a long time and then you watch them for a long time and then you can say things about a long time and instead what we tend to have is i've watched somebody do something for a little bit of time and then i make a long-term conclusion and people jump all over me because they should that's a whole that's a really long answer to we're all arguing we don't really know <laughs> right we, we, a bunch of us have opinions about it one way or the other, but I'm trying to kind of represent the field. Of course, fairly. of course, of course. And we this appreciate is, that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I've, I testified before the Senate about this once, so you can look it up and you can see, you know, where I came down on it. Um, but a lot of people feel very strongly about this because they want to, they want to find a reason for why bad things happen. Um, and uh, many of us believe that bad things happen um, in the world because of things like, systematic inequality, um, structural problems, you know, I, I think there's probably more violence caused by banks redlining African-American neighborhoods from getting loans and what that does to the job market than from the kid playing Grand Theft Auto. Like, to me, these are, they're not on the same level. Like, this, this social stuff. Fair that, and Systemic agree. stuff that <laughs> really, like, drives crime, you know? So uh, do games play some role? They may. It's possible. Um, but I think thinking and focusing on them as opposed to institutional systematic things is kind of an excuse to not focus on the institutional systematic things, which are super boring and not sexy, but really do cause crime. Did you have uh, any have other no follow-up questions. questions? That was, that amazing. was an that was amazing. Great. Yeah, that was the best conclusion <laughs> on the show. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks. Yeah. I'm glad to help. I'm glad to help. It doesn't take a miracle to be wise with money, but it does take faith and a plan. At Thrivent, we help millions of Christians be wise with money with advice, insurance, banking, investments, and generosity. Visit Thrivent.com. Thrivent, be wise with money. So we're joined now with Mike Bithell, 
of Bithel Games, independent game designer who created uh, Thomas Was Alone in Volume. Uh, thanks for joining us. No worries at all. Pleasure to be here. Great. So um, just like start off, like I'm curious to know with Volume, what, like what attracted you to uh, the stealth genre and what uh, you know uh, made you want to create one? Um, so I'd, I'd just always been obsessed with stealth games. And I think what was interesting to me was there was this, um, there was this period, uh, kind of Metal Gear Solid 2 time. Um, it was, I think it was, cause you had two games come out with Metal Gear Solid 1. You had, uh, Metal Gear and Thief came out the same year. Mm. And it kind of felt like as a fan who, someone who was obsessed with Metal Gear Solid 2 in particular, but just Metal Gear Solid in general, it felt like that was kind of, those were the two parents of stealth. And it feels like uh, the world kind of went with the thief approach. So, you know, hiding in the shadows, visibility meters, all of that stuff. Whereas Metal Gear Solid was this kind of game where it was all about eye lines and kind of hiding behind things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and I always felt like that was because even Metal Gear Solid eventually went the kind of visibility approach. And as a designer, I always felt like there was there was more to be done with that kind of a game that was much more analog. I am either hidden completely or I'm completely visible. And uh, I wanted to play with that. And volume was kind of the, the taking the opportunity to kind of go and experiment with those design ideas. Yeah. So, like, what in particular from, like, stealth games, like, did you see that set it apart from, like, other genres that, like, really attracted, like, what was, like, the interesting aspect of it? I think, I think for me, it was, it was the nonviolence. And I don't say that in kind of a, kind of a big, I'm literally taking a break from Wolfenstein to, to talk to you. But, like, I, like, um, it it wasn't, like, a big political thing, kind of the nonviolence, but the idea of a game where you had to kind of react to violence um, with brains, like, that kind of, because stealth games sort of are a puzzle game they're sort of a kind of a puzzle action hybrid and kind of designing a game that was all about that approach to solving you know there are guys shooting guns at me how do i avoid this situation was something that was you know just interesting to me and coming from kind of making puzzle game before that it felt like kind of a natural next step you mentioned thief and like the approach of like kind of like these I guess, like, what we see now, like, with a lot of modern games is, like, kind of, like, the sandbox, like, uh, Dishonored and Deus Ex, where um, you have, like, kind of, like, equal measures of either using stealth or using violence. Like, like how do you feel about those type of games uh, in comparison to, like, what was traditionally, like, a nonviolent um, approach to, uh, to gameplay? So I think they're cool. I think um, I'm a big fan of that 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 yeah that whole genre. Like and and specifically, I guess like yeah, Hitman's the one that for me feels like the kind of the natural successor to, and I guess Dishonored now as well, um, and even Prey. But like I think I think they're great. I think though that um, by definition they're less focused on the stealth. You know, if you're doing all those other things, you kind of have to design around all the different play types and kind of put in those options for all the players. Uh, and that means uh, it's less specific. And it was always that thing of, can we make something super arcadey and kind of specific to that that core kind of stealth gameplay? Um, and, and it seems like that was the audience it found. You know, it was uh, the people who kind of talk to me about it, because volume's been out now for uh, two years. So, like, I'll, I'll be at events and people come up to me and talk about it. And it's it's always interesting that it is there are just enough people in the world who shared my love of Metal Gear Solid and wanted kind of more of that traditional stealth yeah, um, yeah. to kind of justify it. It was, very, it was kind of a niche within a niche within a niche. Fair. But um, 
yeah, kind of making a game specifically for that player made sense. But no, I, I, I love I love these kind of these these modern games with these these kind of like you say the kind of the option between the different uh, play styles. But there is something about being specific where you can kind of really zoom in on stealth and go, well, let's make a game that's purely this. And I think like you know something like Mark of the Ninja as well kind of benefits from that kind of laser focus as well. Hundred percent. No, no shade at all. But do you feel like there's maybe something? And if you could identify it, that'd be really cool, too. This is kind of a subjective question. But do, do you feel like something is lost without that that sort of high punish? Uh, you, you kind of described it as, as analog where, you know, when you're caught, the kind of thing with Dishonored is like when, you, when you're caught, it's like, okay, well, Bruce Strength mode, you know what I mean? Like, I, just, I can just sort of beast through this and get to the next thing. Uh, do you feel like sort of focusing solely on that mechanic of keeping yourself, like, hidden is... Uh, I don't know is important or sort of essential to to that experience. I don't think it's essential. I think it's I think it's where you focus. If you look at something like um you know like Dishonored, they they've made a very conscious effort to design a game where having been spotted, the game continues and is interesting, and that you have options in that kind of space. Um, it was really interesting early with Volume when we were developing Volume, a very the first kind of version I started playtesting with, you had a health bar, so you would you know you get shot and you'd lose health. And that meant that, you know, you'd be in an encounter with an enemy and you'd run away and they'd lose you and, and you'd, you'd carry on. And that was actually um, really annoying to players. <laughs> like, we got lots of players who were like, I, I got sore seen and, I, you know, I lost half my health and now I'm running around the level and I'm worried that, like, like how do I get health back? You know, can we, you know, can we put in recharging health? Can we put in health packs? That kind of thing. So we found that... Um, because the game where volume's fun is in them trying to stay out of their vision and then later in the game kind of, you know, using their vision against them, the second kind of you're done, the second like there is no way of kind of clawing back, it becomes a boring game. So just kind of getting getting the player to a fail state as quickly as possible there and then giving them an instant restart a very small amount back from where they were, that kind of honestly it's just more rewarding for the player because we keep them in that fun zone. You know, ideally with a game, you, you want to, you need to know where the, where the fun of the game is and then you need to keep the player there as much as possible. And, you know, if, if something goes wrong with it, if they fail, if they, 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 they suck at something, getting them back to a point where they can get back into the zone is as quickly as possible is kind of core to, to how we design volume. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you mentioned that because I do have, I guess like when I, I love things like chaos theory is like one of my favorite games, but it is this weird thing of um, me messing up at all, like kicks in my like perfectionist habits, and I just want to restart <laughs> immediately. Like, how do you, how do you like deal with that as a game designer when you have like people like players like me who like even like the smallest little mess up, it might like ruin my experience. <laughs> I mean, well, with with volume, the way we dealt with players like you, because I'm I'm a player like you, was we put in uh, an instant restart on our. Mm-hmm. On the art, you know, you hold down uh, R on the keyboard on PC, and you know, a bar fills up in two seconds, and then it boots back. So that was actually weirdly, that was the thing we probably the one thing we put the most effort into was instant restarts, so that someone like you, who's like, I've I've messed it up, the whole game's ruined, is only ever two seconds away from having another go. Um, because it really annoys me in games when you have games because for me for players like me i i always have to keep a grenade on me in a game so i can like drop it at my feet to kill myself to go back to the checkpoint most (laughs) games now have a restart from checkpoint but that wasn't the case until a few years ago Mm -hmm. so i i remember that being a big thing or playing half-life just with quick save quick load like just always there just kind of constantly clicking them Mm -hmm. 
so yeah so so for us it was it was just about making sure that you had fun and actually it was interesting with volume one of the kind of the biggest design mistakes that we made with the game uh was and we and you can see this actually if you go back and look at volume reviews um for the game kind of the reviews of the game that came out very quickly um they're, they're actually they're, they're positive but the kind of one of the main attractions that's mentioned is the checkpoint system because we have this checkpoint system that would kind of was quite forgiving so you could kind of you could have messed up you could be being chased by four enemies but if you could get to the checkpoint in time uh it would save you at that checkpoint and then you know you could restart from that checkpoint and the enemies would all be back where they started and everything would be safe and it was kind of allowed players to kind of cheat their way through and what we found was yeah a lot of players understandably were like well i didn't deserve that i cheated my way through the level that sucks you know so we had we ended Mm. up adding like Oh, it, within like a week of release, we put out a patch for with with three different checkpointing systems. Uh, we kind of uh, left the one that was in there in, but we also put in one that switched off checkpoints once you were seen. So like you know you had to kind of go back into anonymity before you could save, which I think is the best way to play the game, and it's the default now. Um, and also we put in a mode that had no checkpoints at all for the, the kind of hardcore. But so we kind of found ourselves, even though we designed this game for three years with a specific kind of player in mind with you know this massive kind of thing we'd missed in playtesting and 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 kind of resolving that quickly was you know really important and i think if we hadn't done that i think we would have had a, a we would not have had as a successful game as we had with volume mm. how do you feel about um something like the last of us where i, I feel like that's like a, a strange in between where you do have weapons and whatnot but i feel all right messing up in that game because i think a lot of the focus was on like being able to improvise in the moment and i think my favorite parts of that game were when i screwed up and had to like find my way out of a situation uh, and I, I didn't feel the need to like restart immediately no and it fits the theme right i think that's a big part of games that we often overlook is we kind of especially and i'm guilty of this as a game designer where where you'll you'll work on a game and you'll be like well this is this is the game and then we're gonna you know we'll slap some visuals on it and some story and we'll kind of work that out later but something like last of us is brilliant kind of evidence that it, the theming of that game, the fact that it is this kind of uh, survival game and survivors, and it's got this sense of like you know just scraping through mm-hmm. is a, is such a theme of like where the characters are, how the how the world looks, all of that. That yeah, in that game you don't feel like you have to get everything perfectly right, but then you play a game like Metal Gear Solid. And you're being told that you are Snake Plissken. Well, not Snake Plissken, <laughs> but like that you're based on Snake Plissken <laughs> in Escape from New York. And like you're perfect and you're the world's greatest super spy. As a player, you kind of feel like, well, if I'm not playing that way, then, you know, it, it, it doesn't fit. If, oh, you know, yeah, 100%. It, I think that theming has such a great deal to kind of to, to, to kind of place the player, give the player a sense of what the rules of that world are. You know, playing the, the, the most recent Doom and, you know, it's very quickly established you you're just a killing machine and therefore you play the game in that way you don't play in kind of a stealthy quiet way you just go for it um so i think that's that's super important and and that's yeah that's why i think in last of us i'm much more happy like you said to scrape through that's fair sort sort of like a mirror's edge effect like if you're constantly falling it's just not yeah you just don't feel cool (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean i mean that that was the beauty of hitman right at least for myself like the beauty of hitman was sort of like this finesse element to like stealth gaming Mm -hmm. that i didn't feel was always 
present there where it's like I'm going to go in this mental checklist I'm going to go in the house I'm going to kill her I'm going to mm-hmm. and there, there's, there's something really beautiful about it uh, so, so one thing that kind of comes to mind for me specifically within like stealth games is oftentimes you're you're playing to the environment rather than conquering it in a kind of way and I'm curious to know um, there's there's a lot of emotion sort of involved in that like from at least for me like as I'm playing, sure, like I'm definitely strategizing. I'm definitely reading patterns, and I'm like I'm 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 playing to them. Um, but then there's also sort of like an element of anxiety. There are moments of risk management, and then uh, and then there's also an amazing feel. Even if the level isn't complete, an amazing sense of reward for either getting through a section where there were like four guys like pacing in whatever direction. I was able to figure out the patterns. But I'm curious to know, like from a design standpoint, and obviously I understand this is a bit of a broad question at least in putting together these levels, uh, what are some principles you keep in mind to design to the idea of maximizing the reward of getting through something or maximizing anxiety so that the reward is that much greater? So, so the, the key thing, and, and you know, I, I shouldn't take full credit volume is um, there was a team, there was uh, three other, there were three level designers on the game. And then I kind of flitted between all the levels and kind of, and, and, and directed all of it. But, but there were some great level designers on volume the key thing we kind of approached very early on in the conversations around it was that essentially i mean and this is true of most games most games are about the control of space right so you're you're kind of you're trying to you know liberate an area of bad guys or you're trying to get from one point to another what's interesting with stealth games are this they're incredibly about the safety of areas so it's so in stealth games you know Every, you're you're playing through an area using the places that are temporarily safe um, so you're always kind of trying to gauge, like, can I make it over there? Can I, if I'm over there, will I be seen? What's the gap in this guy's patrol route that I can use to get past him? Those kind of questions. So you have this kind of constantly mutating kind of uh, status to the level where you're trying to work out where these these safe zones are and where where danger is. And right. and for us, that was always kind of the conversation was, okay, well, how do we make that interesting? And then it becomes about flow from a from a level design point of view of okay well maybe it's interesting to have a level where nowhere is ever safe safe for long you know and you've always got to keep moving and every corner of the map is kind of dangerous oh. and maybe it's cool to have like a really safe area and then like a mega dangerous area and then a safe area and then a mega dangerous area and you're kind of it's like at that point you're it's almost like writing music like you're just working out like what where are the contrasts that are interesting. Um, how can we, uh, you know, give abilities to the player or have like interactions in the environment that change the rules of what's safe and what isn't? You know, turning on and off things or, or opening up new areas, and then that's that's ultimately where you get level design from is just kind of playing with that rhythm and playing with, uh, with the safety and the, you know, safe and not safe and and kind of contrasting all that. So that was always that was always kind of the conversation we always had was is this an interesting flow? Is it interesting to kind of navigate this space? And and is it different to what you've done before? And and you know, and then it becomes about you know allowing opportunities for tactics. You know, we would have people playing the game. We'd have playtesters try different things. And if it was something that the level wasn't designed to you know to allow for, we'd go okay. Well, maybe there's another level which we can make all about using this specific kind of tactic or ability. Or can we make this level susceptible to that as well? So then you kind of iterate in and and make stuff interesting. That's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, it's also pretty. It's pretty beautiful to kind of liken it to music, like it not mm-hmm. being about the notes, but the space in between them. I, I never really even think about the, the pacing. I feel like I probably but... that was that was honestly that was clever enough that I feel like I probably stole it. <laughs> trying, to, trying to think where. It's all right. It's your on the I show. It's yours. It's yours. Yeah. No one will have notes. It'll be our little secret. <laughs> <laughs> but now, like with I think like 
level design, I, I, I am assuming, like, especially in, uh, in stealth games, because, like you said, like, in Splinter Cell, it's like, I just got to get across the room, and, like, the emo- like all the emotions that go into that, and, like, the thought process of you, like, interacting with the AI and whatnot, like, I, I know I talked to, like, Steve Gaynor before about, like, how level design, it, there's so much that goes into, like, the pacing of it and like what you're thinking like there's like unconscious things going on um and i i likened it to like a, a an editor of a film where has all this material from the director but like really can dictate like how it feels um based on how they cut it you know yeah and and, and what the added layer on stealth games is that predictability is a key factor because um you know we don't the way a stealth game will fall apart very quickly is if it feels unfair if it feels like well that guy shouldn't have turned at that point that guy never turns in that direction what's going on or you know i i tried to use this ability but it behaved slightly different how it has every time before now again this is this goes back to the the point you made about kind of the the last of us and you know if you if you dress up if 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 i threw a molotov cocktail in last of us and it didn't explode i'd be okay with that because it would kind of fit the world right that like oh well i guess that one didn't work i guess i did a bad job but you know again when you're playing like a super spy you kind of need the world to react in a predictable way but making that not boring as a designer making it that you don't feel like everything's so super predictable um that you you know that the the, uh that things are kind of um dull it's it's just hard to do and i think i think with that stuff it's often about complexity it's about well how do i layer things up because you want something that's completely predictable and if the player's paying enough attention in a stealth game they should never you know never be seen unless they have to be for a specific puzzle they should always be absolutely on top of it you're you should never the player should never die because they feel like the game cheated they should die because they feel like they messed up and that's true of all games but in stealth games in particular it's it's you're you're playing the game at a slower pace you know if, if you're playing a first person shooter and the bad guy runs at you and it's kind of wonky and maybe they they don't use cover the way they should it's fine because in a first person shooter the time between you seeing an enemy and that enemy being dead is usually a few seconds right you see right. it they, they pop out they you, you shoot them it's done with stealth games we're encouraging players to hang out with the ai <laughs> you know, to right. take their time to kind of to really see what's going on and that 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 requires a lot of work to make that feel predictable enough that it's fun for stealth but also um not too robotic um in in volume i cheated by making them look like robots that was kind of a that was that was a half solution to that kind of an indie solution to like well we'll just make them look fake so it's not weird that they're walking in these incredibly prescriptive uh routines i had like uh just like to wrap up like one more question um like part of me thinks that like uh stealth games kind of work really well because it's kind of this like semi-innocent but like semi-illegal fantasy of like breaking into a place you know and it's like you i have, understand what you mean yeah, yeah i've like, never heard you describe it that way it's pretty amazing it's like innocent but illegal it's kind of it's legal it's 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 like illegal what's the what's the grid where it's like um where it's like um chaotic neutral oh yeah, yeah it's yeah. like it's like it's like lawful um law like lawful it's chaotic good yeah exactly it's like it's, well, it's somewhere on that grid right and mm-hmm. that's yeah that's cool like yeah that. but do you see like that as like maybe an element of why these games are attractive it's like i like i, I remember like going through like a stadium or something and going like it'd be cool if i can like jump off this thing and enter like an area i'm not supposed to be in like i don't know is there is, is that like maybe that's like what what i like about stealth games maybe there's an interesting 
I'm going to half answer your question, but I think it's an interesting thing. There's a there's a there's a um, an architect uh, who who writes a blog called I think it's called Build Buildig Blog, which is B L D G, um, and he talks about something called Nakatomi Space. Have you heard of this? No, what's this? So Nakatomi Space, it's named for the building in Die Hard, <laughs> what is it? and it's and it's the and it's the idea that there is a specific way we use buildings. That like you know buildings are obviously designed for a function, right? An architect goes in and they're like, okay, this is an office building. People need to get to work. They need to be able to go on their lunch break. They need to be able to leave work. And the offices need to feel like you know aspirational, or they need to you know people need to feel looked up. That's what an office building is for. Um, with something like Die Hard, um, watch Die Hard again. He never walks through a door. He never he never uses the building the way it was designed to be used. He's always in an air vent or crawling <laughs> across the floor or underneath a table. Like he is using that building in every way other than how the architect intended. I think he uses the elevator to get up, but from that point on, he never he never interacts with it the way it was designed to be used. And I think that actually that's one of the reasons Die Hard's so popular is that idea that we're in all of these kind of quite boring locations and urban settings all the time. You're in a stadium and you're work you're using a stadium the way the stadium was designed. You're walking in, you're getting to your seat, you're sitting down, you're watching something, you're getting up, you're leaving. Your brain, because you're a human and because you you've got the same genes that made, you know, a monkey pick up a stick and see what would happen if it threw it at an antelope. I don't know much about that might not be how <laughs> I'm we're following. We're following. Yeah, exactly. We're trying to but because it. you have that problem solving brain, you're you're looking around that space and you're trying to think of different ways to use it. You're trying to work out like how to subvert what the architect designed. And stealth games are a genre more than any other that kind of is built around that, is about breaking a routine, you know, you know, knocking out that guard where, as he walks back and forth doing the same boring thing. There's something innately human about trying to disrupt an existing system. 100%. That oh, my gosh. to me so much. That's great. I mean, I think about it, like, even in my favorite part of playing the campaign of any Call of Duty is the one level where you're kind of doing stealth. And the rest, you never look at a truck as a thing that you're going to get under until you're at that level. <laughs> like, otherwise it's just this thing in the street. Like, you yeah. know, <laughs> it's true. Right. Or when you play Assassin's Creed and I, I live in London. So Assassin's, so like London looks like Assassin's Creed. Like there's lots, right. of, tall, there's lots of tall buildings. There's lots of, and, and whenever you've been playing like an Assassin's Creed for too long, you look, you, you know, you walk through London, you're like, I could definitely scale that building. It's not helpful <laughs> if I, I literally live in a building that was like a level in um, syndicate. So it's kind of weird. <laughs> like that getting to that oh bit of being like, Oh God. Um, but like, yeah, it's, it's those games can really kind of play with how your brain works, and that's that's a fun thing. But I think, yeah, stealth is a is a fun subversion of of architectural space. I sound incredibly pretentious. I apologize. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but awesome that that's great. Like that, that's so awesome to think about uh, and so interesting. Um, I don't, I don't think we have any more. Uh, questions no that um, was an amazing yeah. place to leave off at. thank you yeah. so much uh for no taking worries. the time to talk to us seriously that's great next up eric kane and paul tassi talk the return of assassin's creed after two years in an ill-advised film adaptation starring magneto hi i'm eric kane i'm paul tassi and we're going to talk about assassin's creed uh we're recording this uh, couple days before the game comes out, but by the time you listen to it, it will have been out for a few days, so that's just... I'm going to throw that out there. 
Uh, you've been playing for the last few days, yeah? Uh, yeah, pretty much nonstop <laughs> in yep. order to hit this embargo here. <laughs> Which is tomorrow? Uh, yes, the, well, the from when we're yeah. recording, yes. Um, and, you know, five whole days seems like a lot <laughs> until uh, you have to beat like a 40, 50, 60-hour game during that time. <laughs> Oh, so yeah. this, it's yeah. been a bit of a crunch, and the way the game is kind of structured is it's not, it's not something you can really race through the story and just kind of like you know get through it and, and beat the main gist of it because you kind of have to keep leveling yourself by doing a lot of side quests. So there there is no really fast path through it. So that's been a bit of a challenge, but I'm, it also lets me kind of experience the full breadth of the game and, and be able to kind of have more accurate thoughts about like the whole package. Yeah. Yeah. From what I, I mean, I haven't played as much as, as you have, but um, from what I've seen, you know, this is really a, an RPG now with uh, you know, similar gating that you see in something like the Witcher three, where you just, you can't go to, you can't go to every zone. You're going to, you're going to be underpowered. You have to, yeah, you have to do side quests. And, and a lot of these are, pretty story driven side quests even from what i've seen so far yeah i will be mentioning the witcher 3 a lot <laughs> in my review yeah. and yeah. it is it is very obvious that they took kind of a lot of cues from that i mean why wouldn't they i mean the witcher 3 is you know sure. one of the best rpgs of all time but it is it is very apparent like definitely in, in the way they laid out the map like you said but in this the story quests i've played there there have been no two identical story quests yet um, and this isn't to say that I think they're as good as the Witchers, but they're also, you know, pretty, you know, pretty diverse and pretty solid. And you meet kind of a lot of interesting characters doing them. And it's kind of a far cry from the, you know, traditional open world, go here and skin 10 deer and <laughs> kill 10 enemies and come back, you know? Yeah, I've noticed, I've noticed the same thing. Um, and I really pleasantly surprised all around with this game, I have to say. Um, I think they also, you know, along with... The Witcher Three. There's definitely some some Dark Souls, and I know it's become a a meme or something to compl- compare things to Dark Souls. But certainly mechanically, with the um, the combat has learned a lot with the lock on and the light and heavy attacks. And Dark Souls it, minus yeah, the difficulty. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I'm playing on hard. I don't know what level you're playing. Are you playing? Oh, on? I'm just playing on normal. So I'm at, okay. I forgot there's different levels, but yeah, I always play games. Yeah, on there's normal, easy, so. medium, hard, and I just went ahead and played hard and. It's definitely the most challenging Assassin's Creed I've ever played. Because, um, boy, they, they really do, like, on, at least on hard difficulty, and I have nothing to compare this to, but they hit really hard. So if you miss a couple dodges or you, you, know, you don't block very well you and there's three guys, you know, you're, you're dead pretty quickly. And that has really surprised me. I, I wouldn't say it's as hard as a Dark Souls or a Bloodborne, but I think that for players who are really used to... Assassin's Creed g- gameplay, as opposed to a Souls game, it's going to be an, a new kind of challenge well, for sure. Assassin's Creed combat in the past has been just kind of like press triangle to counter kill a guard mm-hmm. instantly, and then do that like with all thirty guards surrounding you, and that was kind of like the extent of combat. Like they they tweaked it over time, but that was kind of what I remember the most about like kind of past Assassin's Creed open combat. Um, oh yeah, you could take twenty guys down in a row just easily, but here you you really can't do the same here, thing. I mean, you're almost never in a fight with more than I'd say three people at once. Like, kind of given how the game kind of throws enemies at you, and yeah. I run into a couple of like some of the heavier guys are brutally tough to the point where I'm no longer trying to like dodge and parry. I'm just 
backpedaling, shooting them with fire arrows <laughs> until they just die. <laughs> but, um, or sneaking up on them. That's that's still a viable option in this game, which I do kind of like. Like One thing Souls doesn't have is the ability to, to sneak up on someone. I mean, you can. Okay, so that's not quite true. You can walk up slowly behind a sentry in Dark Souls and backstab them. But it's not a stealth game, whereas you still have some stealth options here. And uh, you can still, you know, even a harder bad guy you can take down. I don't know if that's true of all bad guys, but it's certainly true of a lot of the heavier ones. I would say throughout the game, you can insta-kill from stealth probably 99, 98% of bad guys. um, Yeah. Except for kind of like ultra bosses. And I, I really kind of like what they've done with stealth where they haven't changed it mechanically very much. Like it works kind of very much the same way. And they've even taken away some abilities. Like you can't insta-kill two people at once like that are standing next to each yeah. other now um and little tr- and like i've had maybe you can do ledge hang kills but i've had some trouble doing that so there's, there's almost kind of like less stealth mechanics but the way they use stealth is i found it to be a lot more forgiving where enemies no longer like see a dead body and like instantly go sprinting for the alarm like they will kind of get suspicious, but you can still kill them. And so like an enemy finding a corpse is no longer like kind of an auto fail and like, all right, well, I guess this is an open combat mission now. Um, but yeah. even past that, there are situations where like, oh, I, you know, I, I dropped off a ledge too soon. The guard saw me and I kill him. And then another guy comes running and I kill him. But because I was kind of cordoned off from the rest of the base or whatever, and not in the direct line of sight of everyone else, I can go back and stealth instantly. And like the whole camp isn't, put on alert like just because i screwed up stealth for two seconds so i I found the game is a lot more forgiving and that means that you're able to kind of stealth your way through a lot more even with all this focus on open combat and like that's only really happened to me like if you just get an all-out brawl in the center of camp like yeah everyone will come running alarms will sound and you know all that but many times i've i've been able to sneak through and just assassinate you know the three captains in a base or whatever and then leave (laughs) and you yeah. know, it's it's. I really liked how they they've handled that. Yeah, it feels to me like a game that that is is maybe the most gamey Assassin's Creed we've had in a long time. You know, because like like you're saying, you know, with with combat in previous Assassin's Creeds, it's been like it's been like a quick time event combat kind of. You know, you you tap triangle when it shows up. And you succeed and you, you know, it's not been, it's, and, and yeah, stealth, stealth missions often, if you failed, would kick you back to the beginning of the mission. The, all these sort of little walls everywhere to, to make, I don't know, to sort of clamp down on the free spirit of the gameplay. Whereas this game really feels like it is much more open-ended. Like you're saying, you, you can go back into stealth. You, you have to actually use some skill in combat. There is a skill-based combat. And I really like what the, how they've done that. And yeah, you're right. They've, they've really brought in games like The Witcher and, and, and The Souls games and, and other stuff to sort of recreate what Assassin's Creed can be. And I, I actually really, really like it. I like the RPG. I, a lot of times I complain about too many RPG elements in games, you know, too many RPG elements in shooters. But here it feels like it's actually... I don't know. I mean, from from what I've played, and you're a lot further than me, but from what I've played, it, it feels really good. I kind of love it. Yeah, I think the RPG elements it's taken on have really helped the game. And while I sit, like, no, it's not as good as Dark Souls, like, the combat isn't that good, and, like, no, these quests aren't as good as The Witcher, but even if you're just drawing from, like, two incredible games like that, and you've done those elements well, it certainly helps. And it's certainly a lot better than many 
certainly the most recent installments of the Assassin's Creed games. And like, I'm still trying to figure out in my own mind where I kind of rank this game in the grand total, but they have, they have done a, a kind of a number of, of astonishing things with this game that I, I wasn't really sure what to expect, but I'm finding that I really love it. And like, even after I published my review and hit embargo and whatever, I'm going to go back and do like a ton of stuff I've missed because it's, it's huge. It is just like astonishingly big. And the amount of stuff they put in here is interesting to do. It's not just like, Oh, I got to find a hundred feathers in this city. It's like, I got to take a new side quest and like, you know, escort this, you know, retired gladiator, uh, around to collect payments from people and like try to get them a job that doesn't involve beating people up. It's like really kind of weird, intricate little sub stories. And I would say mm-hmm. the one difference from the Witcher that makes it a little less compelling and from other RPGs is that there is still no, no element of choice in this story at all. So part of the reason right. kind of the Witcher's quests are so good, cause you kind of agonize over like, Oh, like, should I be siding with this person or this person? Am I doing the right thing in, in this context? But in Assassin's Creed, there's really, even though these quests kind of emulate Witcher quests, there's no actual decision-making. Um, and I'm not asking for like a binary morality system, but it, it gives a little less weight to everything when the answer is usually just like, oh, go kill this person and, you know, the problem is resolved. So that is one aspect where yeah. I think it falls a little short, but I also don't mind it kind of the way it is either. You know, I think they were in a bind there, to be honest. I don't know that with a system that's based on having memories, they can really put a choice system in there. You know, like, this is still all a modern-day character playing the life of Bayek. Well, you could argue that then that was the choice the person made, you know what I mean? Like... (laughs) Right. Yeah, I guess. But then, I, I mean, I guess I can see why they might not put it in there also. I don't know. Yeah, I just think I, I agree too much with work. You. I think there's, I just don't <laughs> think they could handle that. Like, it's it's big enough as it is without, like, multiple branching paths from each of these, you know, subquests and everything. Yeah. yeah, in some ways it's almost a relief. Like, I like those kind of games. I like to be able to have choices. But I don't mind just kind of the variety of quests and just moving through the story the way the story is, you know. And it's a pretty good story so far. I mean, let's not talk about details just to avoid spoilers, but I thought, you know, the opening stuff with the backstory and, you know, the establishing of the characters and the villains was really pretty, it was pretty horrifying and pretty effective. And I'm really looking forward to the rest of it because, well, this is the same team that made Black Flag, which I also thought had a really good story. Yeah. um, Going through the whole game, like I, I think there's there's up and down moments, um, and you know without getting into specifics, like you're kind of you're seeking revenge, let's say, and you think you're seeking revenge on one thing, and then it turns into like three people, and you're like okay, and then it turns into five people, and then you're like okay, and but then by the end it's just an absurd number of people. It's like if you're, you know, if someone you knew was killed by a police officer or something and like you go and end up killing like the governor of the state or something, (laughs) you know, it just (laughs) escalates to kind of an absurd degree. And like, I get it and I get what they're trying to do because this is kind of the whole birth of the assassin order, but it takes by a kind of a long time to like understand like what he's even doing it after his like 
you know, twentieth kill of some major figure. Um, so that part is yeah. kind of a little, a little goofy. But I really, I really like Bayek as a character. I think he's a really good character, and in mm-hmm. a way that I haven't really connected with probably any Assassin's Creed hero since you know Black Flag or or you know Ezio. And I'm, I'm really digging him. Yeah, I, I feel like there's some recurring themes too because Black Flag ended up being a story about about parenting in a way about being a parent and uh so is this game so it's really interesting to me to see some of those parallels what do you think of the um some of the new mechanics like like the eagle senu i think the eagle is a good compromise because the past few assassin's creed games you you kind of just play the whole thing in eagle vision because that's more or less the only mode where you can just instantly see through walls and that makes kind of assassinating people and moving around way easier, but it was weird to play this game in like a constant state of night vision in, in a lot of these installments. So the eagle is kind of another gamey aspect where it's like, how can this eagle see this buried chest like under this cliff, like through 40 feet of solid stone? But in terms of mechanically how it works, I think it it's really nice. And like, it's it's pretty fun to just scout out an entire base beforehand just in kind of like one swooping motion where you, you know, you guide his little Eagle GPS drone radar around. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like, um, ghost recon wildlands where you send your, your little drone. It is literally like that. It is exactly like that. Yeah. I'm sure that's where they it's got where it. It feels like it works better. I feel like it's a little more polished than wildlands. I don't know. Yeah, it, it definitely, it's a, it, it, it's a useful system. It's kind of goofy in practice, but I, I prefer it to kind of having to, just kind of manually be looking around with Eagle Vision at all times as a way to tag people. And, like, I mean, Ubisoft has been doing this for a while. I think maybe the first time they did this was the Owl in Far Cry Primal did almost the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this time you're not, like, tying bombs to your Eagle's talons or something or anything like that. Uh, Boo. You can, they, your Eagle can actually attack people in combat eventually, which is fun. Um, but there, that's it's not like terribly mechanically complex. But I, I like that system, and you know for the most part I, I like most of the new stuff that they've added, and I don't miss kind of the stuff they've taken away. Um, yeah, I I I feel like this game is tiptoeing around being a full fledged fantasy RPG. You know, like there's definitely like magic in this game, and of course there's always been some element of that because the, the series has had preposterous mechanics like Eagle Vision. But I mean, one of the DLCs for this is going to be where you fight monsters, mythical beasts. And I, with my my review code, it came with 500 credits or whatever you can buy stuff with. And so I bought a unicorn. So I've been riding around <laughs> on a unicorn. Bayek and his unicorn, you know. I, I went through the desert on a unicorn with no name. Yeah, did you take a, uh, did you take a look at the microtransaction store, by the way? Briefly. I, I've, I've looked through it, yeah. It's kind of fascinating because I don't think it's going to be problematic because it's like, it, it's literally the clearest definition of just selling cheat codes I've ever seen in my life. Oh, yeah. You can literally <laughs> just buy skill points uh, <laughs> or buy gold oh. or buy specific legendary weapons. And like, but that's, but, but I like it better because unlike a game like Shadow of, of War, it's not integrated into the game at all. Like you have to pretty much go completely yeah. outside of the game to get there. And it's just so unappealing at its base. Like one of the coolest things in this game that I've, I've found to do was, I don't know if you've gotten to this part yet, but eventually you'll get this like team of bounty hunters sent after you. 
called like Philakis or something, and they appear on the map as these kind of like red glowing horned helmets that are just like terrifying. And if you cause <laughs> enough chaos, they'll just like come and, and hunt you down. And they're kind of various levels scattered all over the map. But eventually, once you get to their level, I think it starts maybe at like level 20, you can start stalking them. And so like start ambushing them or like getting into a street brawl or shooting them with a sniper arrow. And if you kill them, you get whatever weapon they had, which is like a legendary weapon. And that is, it's so cool. And it's like one of the coolest things I've found in the game. And I just don't know why anyone would be like, yes, I'm just going to buy these 10 legendary weapons from the microtrans. Like, why even play the game at that point? So <laughs> yeah, now the only thing I can see buying with microtransactions would be cool outfits or you know mounts. Yeah, because those are just more or less cosmetic, and they don't have stats or yeah. anything. And but even yeah. even I those stuff, even those yeah. that they have in the store, I think there are ways to get them in game. Possibly even the unicorn. Yeah. I'm not I'm not sure how to get that one, but. Well, I know I, I, you know, I had a legendary outfit that just came with the code to start with, and I've gotten one more le- like legendary outfit since then, just on a side quest. It's a cool one too. It's like the cat head. The cat head one is awesome. I'm like, oh man, I would yeah, love to wear this sweet. around. Then you get it at the end of the mission. I'm like, oh sweet. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I was really surprised. I was like, oh, I get it now. That's yeah, that's very so good rad. design. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's really quite lovely. Um, oh, uh, what was I going to say? Um, there's also sort of multiplayer elements in the game which are interesting and also like like weekly challenge type elements. Like there there is this sort of whiff of like games as service going on just in like if you keep coming back, you know, each week there's different challenges you can do. Um, and then there's, you know, the I, I kind of like this, the, uh, the people that take pictures around the world, you can click on their... Oh, you like that? See, I didn't really like that. I did, I just kind of like it's a cool like feature. I just wish you could work. turn it off on the map because the map oh, yeah. the map is crowded enough with like eight thousand icons. Crowded. I'm like, I don't need. If I want to see it, it's cool, but I don't need like eight million screenshot icons on my map too. Well, one thing I liked about it was like before I went to an area, if I saw a little picture up there, I could click on it and kind of see what was up there. Oh, that's interesting. And I kind of liked that. Like, I was like, oh, that's a town over there. Like, that looks cool. I'm going to go check it out, you know? So I kind of like that. It's like a preview. That's cool. Um, And I like... uh, Yeah, it just occurred to me as I was playing that I could do that. But um, what do you think about the, like, revenge missions? Um, They're okay. I just think in a game that has so many, like, actual narrative side quests (laughs) that it's a little boring to just, like, go here and kill these three bandits who like killed some other dude, you know, in some other game save. So I'm not like a huge fan of that. I do like the one kid who gives you like the daily mission. Who's like kind of this vendor Mm -hmm. because it's like a free Epic item, essentially like it's a free loot box and that's useful. Those are also a little generic. I just, given how much else there is in the game, it's just those, those seem like a little bit of time wasters. Like there's just like better stuff you could be doing. Um, with yeah, an actual yeah. narrative component or something more interesting, but I mean, I, I don't mind them. Like they're not like you know bad in any way. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of stuff though. You're right. This is a very big game. Another very big game. Um, but it's really good. How do you it's feel really about good. it? I mean, it, it is. Yeah, I'm I'm still writing my review, but I was very pleasantly surprised, and like I have been more sick than anyone of Assassin's Creed the past couple of games. So. Even with all that's out this fall, like it, it says a lot that I'm definitely going to put probably like you know sixty, eighty hours into this thing when it's all done. So, yeah. I, I hope that you can you know find some cool end game stuff like I have. 
Oh, I'm sure I'll get there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I have, uh, hopefully I will be playing Wolfenstein. I know other places have the the code, but I'm kind of thinking we might be on their blacklist now. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I mean, whatever, I'll just buy the game, I don't care. But, uh, yeah, well, cool. Um, Assassin's Creed Origins launches uh, October 27th, so by the time you listen to this podcast, it'll already already be out there. I, for one, think it's definitely worth purchasing, and this is the first Assassin's Creed that I would recommend since Black Flag as a as a purchase uh, at launch rather than, you know, waiting for all the bugs to be worked out or the, the yeah. uh, sales. Yeah, in 40 hours I have not come across very many bugs at all like almost almost none just a couple goofy ones but nothing nothing crazy yeah. so i at that deep into it i would also highly recommend it i did have a couple times where the game kind of crapped out on me and i had to restart but it was it was pretty minor and nothing was lost so at this point i i don't think it's going to i mean i think there's going to be well i know there's going to be a patch for like hdr support and you know there's going to be a few like early bugs worked yeah. out but i haven't seen anything crazy so yep all right, so that's like two thumbs up, basically. <laughs> Pretty much. Siskel and Evers. Yes. All right, cool. All right, well, well, we'll see you guys next week. That's it for this episode of World. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach us at overworld at podcast1. That's O-N-E dot com. And also you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is at Satchel Drakes. That's Satchel like a bag with an extra L. And mine is Matt Ryan Perez. Thanks for listening. Take care. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Everybody loves honey-glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stalking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.